Is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? You're listening to Movie Things with Lindsay and Gary. Season 4, episode 1. We're back. Welcome back. It's been a long time. Good to see you. Who gave you keys to this house? <laughs> <laughs> if you're new to the podcast, then we're thrilled that you're joining us. And if you've been with us for some time, welcome back. We can't wait to chat with you. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm a better hostess than him, guys. <laughs> so we're back with our very first themed season, which is a bit of a different turn for us, but hopefully you'll enjoy it. Yeah, so the idea is season four of Movie Things will cover phase one of the Marvel Universe. And boys at a big universe, so we're starting off with the, with the first part of that. Phase one's about all we could chew. <laughs> <laughs> so phase one basically means we're going to cover the first two Iron Man films, mm-hmm. Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and the first Avengers movie. That is quite a lineup. So we're going to take it one every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So we'll be dropping a new Marvel movie podcast every second Monday. And in between those full episodes, we're going to be sprinkling in our mini extra things episodes. They're not going to be about Marvel films. They're going to be about other movies that we are excited to chat to you about. Let's get started. 2008's Iron Man. Yep. Directed by John Favreau, starring Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Jeff Bridges and a whole host of other people too. So hit us with a spoiler alert and then we'll get into the plot of Iron Man. So we are going to be talking about this film in quite a lot of detail, revealing major plot points, character info and those all-important end credit scenes too. If you haven't seen Iron Man and you want to go and watch it before you join our chat, um, that's cool. And if you have seen it or if you're happy to listen to us talk about it regardless, that's awesome as well. Grab some snacks, settle on in. And let's get started. Man, I missed saying that. What is your snack? The first snack of season four? So I would say that probably the most appropriate thing for this movie would be a Burger King. That will become obvious why when we get into talking about the plot a bit more. So let's do it. What's Iron Man about? Okay, dig if you will the picture. We've got an opening scene with cars speeding through Afghanistan and ACDC is blasting. In the car we meet Tony Stark and he um, is accompanied by some American soldiers who are basically in awe of him. They're escorting him somewhere. We get the feeling right away that this guy is important and famous though we're not quite sure why just yet. Basically, all these soldiers are just kind of fangirling over them. But what I really enjoy about this scene alone is that there's so many early 2000s hallmarks. So there's a boombox, there's a digital camera that gets busted out. And one of the soldiers says that he wants a picture with Tony for his MySpace page. Be pretty sweet to have Tony Stark in your top nine, to be fair. Oh my God, bumping Tom right out of there. (laughs) (laughs) And the selfie with Tony Stark is taken with an old school digital camera. Yeah. It's very of its time. It is. It's very cute. We realise after that that Tony Stark is a visionary, a genius and a billionaire CEO of Stark Industries who specialise in weapons and robotics. This guy is flashy, flashy, flashy. Yeah, he's like full brash 
playboy at the start of this movie. It's tough to pick what's worse between his really dodgy facial hair or the really dodgy sunglasses. That is like, first of all, iconic facial hair. <laughs> no, I'm not having that. <laughs> but like you've said, you kind of get the feeling at this point that he's completely irresistible to everybody, everybody male and female. Yeah. As you might expect, his plush Malibu pad is buzzing with technology, including his virtual assistant Jarvis and also his physical human assistant Pepper Potts, who's played by Gwyneth Paltrow. But back to the car. The car in front of Tony's one explodes and suddenly there's chaos, there's shooting, everything's a bit woozy and then everything goes black. When Tony comes to, he's lying down with various wires coming out of him and terrified he pulls off the bandages to find that he has a piece of machinery inserted right into his chest and he's quickly told that that's keeping him alive. (laughs) So he's woke up in a cave with a bit of a mad scientist who's basically hooked him up to a car battery. True, but can I just say how much I appreciate that this guy's got a three-piece suit on in a cave? (laughs) They keep up appearances. Exactly. Uh, You never know who's going to come round for (laughs) a cup of tea. Has he only got so many opportunities to make a first impression on Tony Stark? So he's been kidnapped? Yeah, and I think this is like the first sort of interesting point of this film because we're all aware of where the Marvel Universe goes as we go through the next sort of almost 15 years. And I think it's interesting that in this movie, your bad guys are way more like the bad guys of the time. So it's more like a kind of Taliban setup than a Thanos clicking his fingers idea when we go right back to the, the start of these films. Yeah, there's not as much science fiction um, in this one and you and it's a lot more, I guess, a lot more realistic. So these guys want him to build a missile. He's out in the desert showing a prototype of a new super destructive rocket. And the idea is that if they leave him in a cave with some machinery, he'll be able to build that for the bad guys. It's really naive to think that he wouldn't try something to get himself out of captivity. Yeah. They're very trusting. Well, what follows is basically a montage, and you know how much I love a montage, but <laughs> of Tony building various parts inside this cave that's just deep in the mountains and, you know, no one can get to him, so he's basically got no choice but to follow these demands, right? Well... <laughs> <laughs> His captors think that he is building this missile that they've commissioned him to do, whereas actually he's building something else. It turns out that it's the first version of what will become the Iron Man suit. Yeah, the suit he builds in the cave is is very bulky and a bit tinny looking. I guess I kind of cross between like the Michelin Man and the Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah. (laughs) I was terrified of the Man in the Iron Mask when I was a kid. But yeah, he basically comes out covered in tin, but with some pretty decent ammunition. Yeah, so he emerges from his prison in this huge clunky suit, swatting (laughs) off anybody that gets in his way. And at this point, his suit is pretty primitive. Like it's armed mainly with flamethrowers, I think. That's pretty effective though. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mess with him. See, considering he made it from odds and ends that he had lying around the cave, it's pretty good going. Like, to me, this is like the ultimate Blue Peter moment. (laughs) And also, may I add that one of the most remarkable things about Tony being imprisoned in this mountain, in this cave, for three months, we we find out it's three months, is that he manages to maintain his goatee perfectly (laughs) intact. (laughs) So, he gets out and he gets rescued um, by his people he manages to make it out kind of into the desert and 
first order of business when he gets back onto American soil is that he wants a Burger King. He wants two things. He wants a cheeseburger and a press conference, which I find very (laughs) relatable. (laughs) And it's at this point we meet Obadiah. Yes. It's played by an almost unrecognisable, well, to me anyway, (laughs) Jeff Bridges. It took me a really long time to click that that's who was playing this character. I mean, he's a a far stretch from the dude in the Big Lebowski, I'll give you that. (laughs) So after escaping and returning to America, Tony basically tells a press conference that he's done with weapons manufacturing after seeing how they can be misused by groups like the ones that captured him. Tony and his company become ridiculed by the media for being, quote, a weapons company that doesn't make weapons. He lies low at this point and starts a bit of a a secret project at home in his workshop, eh, which turns out to be Suit 2.0. There's a lot of good moments in this film, but I have to say the next scenes are my favourite ones in the whole movie. In the whole movie? Yeah. So these are the scenes where Tony is building, testing and kind of vlogging his journey when he's making this suit. Then he takes it out for its first proper flight, like soaring above Santa Monica. And it's just a really cool scene where he's realised, oh my God, I've built this thing and I can fly. (laughs) Like It's just a really joyful moment and like a time, I guess, in his character's life where things are just feeling a bit like they've all gone wrong. (laughs) I have a lot of appreciation for his balls at this point because I basically am worried to sit on a chair that I built and he's willing to build a suit and fly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That takes a lot of of self-confidence. So in contrast to these really joyous scenes um, with him flying the suit around Santa Monica, we find out that things back at Stark Industries are pretty grim and his colleague Obadiah has actually been, well, a pretty bad boy. Yeah, so basically while Tony's been doing his best international playboy impression, unbeknownst to him, his company, Stark Industries, has actually been supplying weapons to both the good guys and the bad guys. What? I know. Obadiah has been making money with some backhanded, under-the-table deals. We're sort of supposed to assume we're made with the best intentions and actually <laughs> being used against innocent people and to oppress. Tony was either not really bothered by this because he was too busy doing his, like, I'm the main dude thing, yeah. or... He's kind of had a change of heart after his kidnapping and genuinely didn't know because he was so busy being a baller. Just so busy being Tony Stark and being on people's MySpace pages. Problem is, this puts him at odds with the board of directors at Stark Industries and particularly the bold Obadiah. Turns out Obadiah actually set up the kidnapping and attempted murder of Tony that kicked off the film. He needs a written warning or something, this guy. (laughs) I saw young Americans killed by the very weapons I created to defend them and protect them. And I saw that I had become part of a system that is comfortable with zero accountability. Hey, Ben. What happened over there? Uh, I, I had my eyes open. I came to realize that I have more to offer this world than just making things to blow up. And that is why Effective immediately, I am shutting down the weapons manufacturer division of until such a time as I can decide what the future of this company will be, what direction it should take, one that I'm comfortable with and is consistent with the highest good for this country as well. 
It's around this time we get the Stan Lee cameo. The Stan Lee cameo in this film is great. This was Stan Lee's favourite. Oh, apparently. really? Yeah, yeah, you can kind of see why. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a red carpet event that's happening um, and Tony rocks up and Stan Lee is um, on the red carpet with a, a bevy of blonde uh, bombshells around him. And Tony mistakes him for Hugh Hefner. And yeah. Stanley doesn't correct him because why would you? Well, he's got the smoking jacket on, <laughs> he's got the beautiful woman, and Tony kind of walks past and goes, looking good, Hef. And he turns around and it's Stanley. So basically while all this is going on, the company, Stark Industries, is kind of trying to sell it to their investors and the stock market that Tony's had a bit of a meltdown after his traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to sell a sort of change of heart around how they produce weapons as, I guess, just a phase. <laughs> it's just a teenage phase for, for Tony Stark. And they, they almost ground him. They basically just tell him to lie low and stay in his house. Pretty much. So I thought this might be a good point to drop a facto. The first, first of season the four. The first facto of season four. And, you know, the Marvel comic universe must be, like, dripping with, with information so I'm excited to see what has made it into your dossier. <laughs> excited to see someone completely unqualified <laughs> provide said insight know, into I the know. Marvel Universe. So what I thought I would do for this season, something a wee bit different, is I always feel like in these films there is maybe like a wee side character or there's someone who we don't really explore too much but given that these guys all come from comic books and they come from the world of Stan Lee there is a lot more to some of these characters than they get in terms of screen time or backstory yeah. in the film so I thought for each film in season 4 I'll pick a wee guy a wee, a wee guy. <laughs> I'll pick a wee, a wee guy from the sidelines and try and give a wee bit put a wee bit more meat on his bones let's just try and shine the spotlight on, Here these, we go. on these guys okay so who have you gone for my first pick is Obadiah Stane like Obadiah the bad guy the bad guy right okay so not really a wee guy but let's go with it <laughs> As a youngster, Obadiah's mother died at a young age and his father was a gambling addict who killed himself in front of Obadiah during a game of Russian roulette gone wrong. Sheesh. The trauma of these events led to Obadiah losing his hair and growing up with a fair-sized chip on his shoulder. Obadiah makes his way into the munitions business as president and CEO of Stain International. Can you see where this is going? <laughs> and later forms a partnership with Tony's dad, Howard Stark. After Howard passes away, Stane tries to wrestle control of Stark Industries from its new owner, Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Obadiah kicks off an offensive against Tony's business and his associates, which pushes Stark into alcoholism and allows Stane to acquire Stark International, which he renames... Stain International. I'm sorry, but that is an unfortunate name for a company. Do they make detergent? Is that why they're called Stain? Well, the next bit, as we get a bit further on, he does get a kick in the old stains. So. <laughs> oh, no. Now that he's on the inside, Obadiah seeks out the detail of Iron Man's armour and uses this as a blueprint to create an even stronger suit that he calls... And this is basically the whole reason I wrote this fact was because I love this. Iron Munger. What? <laughs> Snappy. During Iron Munger's development, Tony Stark is working in the background to drag himself out of the gutter. 
back as Iron Man, Stark takes out Stain, reclaims his company, and implements a fresh start by restructuring as Stark Enterprises. That is like a true underdog story. Not not so much for Obadiah. Sounds like he, he doesn't really he doesn't really fare well from it, but that's kind of I mean, for me, calling your company stain and then calling your Fugazi Iron Man suit <laughs> Ironmonger. It's never gonna end well for you, is I it? I basically just done that whole facto so I could talk about Ironmonger because I think that's super cool. It's not cool. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so naff. So he builds a super-sized Iron Man suit, which is actually what happens in the movie. And the final act is a bit of a showdown then between Tony wearing his new all singing, all dancing the Iron Man red suit. And gold. Yep, hot rod red. <laughs> um, and then he has a fight with Obadiah, who is wearing now we know it as the Iron Monger suit, but basically a massive. XXXL version of I mean, you would. the Iron Man suit. You would. If you found Tony's blueprint and you were like, right, so I could build this, but I could make it way bigger. And I could add muscles and six packs and <laughs> you would do it, wouldn't you? But my helmet, I can't say that. <laughs> um, you'd be like, I my suit's going to be ten times the size of yours, Tony, and I will crush you like a bug. So they have this massive fight that takes them out onto the highway, causing a bit of a scene and causing a bit of a mess. Eventually, Tony wins um, with some help from Pepper Potts. I quite like this fight. It's not... <laughs> I quite like this fight. It's not too over the top in terms of some of the fight scenes. And I don't know if this is just me sort of recollecting wrongly and I might be corrected as we make our way through these films, but some of them are very prolonged and very smashy and yeah. explosion-y. And Glass-breaking. This one's a bit more of a classic that you might get in your sort of 90s action movie where mm-hmm. they have a bit of a scrap, somebody hangs onto a building for a bit, they yeah. have a wee conscience thing, but it's over in like a, a nice neat five minutes. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, as it's, it's, not the, it's not the whole last act of the film. I have to say, although I like a good coordinated fight scene, I, I can't watch prolonged fight scenes for too long. I do find them a bit boring, I must admit. Especially when my man Iron Mungle's taking a doing. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony wins the fight and his next challenge is to respond to the fact that the public are aware of Iron Man. They've seen him brawling on the highway. They've seen him rescuing some people um, abroad that have been in trouble. So the tabloids are starting to become aware of Iron Man, although people don't really know that much about him. And even internally, I think, within the army at this point, they've just sort of said it's training missions and just passed it off as nothing to be concerned about. Exactly. Tony calls yet another press conference and S.H.I.E.L.D. step in, and this is our first kind of introduction to S.H.I.E.L.D. in this film, and they give him a pre-written statement that gives an alibi to the press. Is your alibi. Okay. You were on your yacht... We have port papers to put you in Avalon all night and sworn statements from 50 of your guests. See, I was thinking maybe we should say it was just uh, just Pepper and me alone on the island. That's what happened. All right. Just read it word for word. There's nothing about staying here. That's being handled. He's on vacation. Small aircraft have such a poor safety record. But what about the whole cover story? That it's a bodyguard? He's my body? I mean, is that that's kind of flimsy, don't you think? This isn't my first rodeo, Mr. Stark. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. You've got 
90 seconds. Does he stick to it though? Of course not. This gives us the best bit of the film, the very end. And it just makes you want more, which I love. It makes you like, well, it made me be dying for Iron Man 2 at this point. The film ends with Tony proclaiming, truth is, I am Iron Man. And then at that point, the classic Black Sabbath song, Iron Man, kicks in. It's the magic. crowd goes wild. <laughs> crowd yeah. being me and you on the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Iron Man! <laughs> it's surprising though, like, the next movie in the Iron Man series, when we come to it, has, like, this amazing ACDC soundtrack and everything. This is set up to use Iron Man song mm-hmm. all the way through it. Yeah. And they don't until the very, very end. Yeah. But there's a lot of really good songs in this film, though. I'll be honest. I kind of just want Sabbath Iron Man on a loop for the full two hours. (laughs) And the lesser known version, Iron Monger. (laughs) Oh, that's a missed opportunity. So what would you rate Iron Man? Okay, so I think that this film serves as a great backstory or origin story for this character. It's no secret that Iron Man's my favourite Avenger, but I know that there are other films in this franchise where I enjoy his character more, the story more, and the dynamic with just more memorable baddies. So for that reason, I would rate Iron Man from Phase 1 of the Marvel Universe as a 6. It sounds harsh, but really it's not. I really like this film. It's good, but I know that there's better to come. How about you? I'm dead interested in your 6. I thought for sure... Iron Man would just be tens across the board for you every time we touched an Iron Man film, so I'm dead interested in the way you've rated it. I've taken a slightly different approach and I've not rated it in the context of what's to come. I've just rated Mm -hmm. it as a wee movie that we watched the other day. Yeah. So I've given it an eight. I never thought I'd score an Iron Man film higher than you. I'm shook. Well, we've got more to come, so. I didn't like this when it was released. I just wasn't really that impressed by it I just wasn't really that bothered by it not my cup of tea I don't think like and what about now that we've revisited it though I think that's that's it I think it holds up really really well I didn't know anything about the Avengers beyond the very very basics Mm -hmm. back when we first saw Iron Man in like sort of 2008 2009 somewhere around then Mm -hmm. and this film at the time didn't really do anything to hook me in I was like a Batman guy rather than comics and like Marvel. Aye, those those different types of superheroes. But rewatching this now, sort of 12 years and 100 Avengers films later, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought, like, you've summed it up really well as an origin story. It's magic. But I like how, and it seems really daft to say it because it is still a huge film and it's still a Marvel film, but it's quite toned down in comparison Mm. to what's to come. So I guess in a way I've said I've not rated it in terms of the universe, but I kind of have in a way because it becomes so overblown with so many characters that it becomes a wee bit hard to follow. This almost feels like a a Roots film like Mm. in a really bizarre way because it still obviously costs hundreds of millions of pounds. It's a massive production with a massive budget and huge actors and everything, but it's the sort of, it's quite scaled back in comparison to... Yeah, what we're kind of used to in terms of watching a Marvel film today. Well, the fact that the whole thing happens on Earth 
is probably like a good starting point. Exactly. It doesn't bring in different galaxies, different planets, different races from different planets and, and all that kind of thing. It's quite simple compared to other Marvel yeah. films. Going back to what I said, kind of even about your, your villains in this, your two villains are, you have Tony's kidnappers, which is so far removed from like a Thanos type mm-hmm. character. And then you have almost like a business rival. Yeah. And obviously you have the big fight, you have the suits, but that's like sort of tech and kind of in a roundabout way, almost believable. Yeah. But yeah. it's like a business dispute that's at the core well, of this Iron Man film and I quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely prefer more kind of comic book style over the top villains and um, you know maybe that's why I don't rate it as highly as I do other Iron Man films. Let's talk about that post credit scene for a sec before we wrap up. Tony arrives home from his press conference and he has a visitor. Samuel L. Jackson. Nick Fury is in his house to discuss the Avengers initiative and that's where it ends. That sort of stuff is really, really interesting because... Now we know what all that means. Exactly. And at the time, I didn't because, like I say, I'm not a huge Avengers fan out with these films I don't really know and I, well I didn't know as we moved through them in sort of real time of the films being made and being released really what was coming next a lot of the time when these films drop hints about a character or someone who's not already in the universe I don't know who it is yeah. I don't know who they're referring to Nick Fury appearing doesn't really mean anything to me yeah. but he says Avengers and I know what the Avengers are so I'm like cool we've got Thor coming soon yeah can I just say how excited I am that we're doing this theme season on this universe? I think it's going to be really good. It's just a good opportunity to go back and watch some films that we enjoyed, some films that we maybe didn't enjoy quite as much. Yeah. I'm excited. So we hope that you've enjoyed this first episode of season four and we would love it if you could come and let us know what you think of it. Give us some Marvel chat over on social media at Movie Things Pod. And if you drop us a review wherever you're listening, we would appreciate that too. And we'll be back in two weeks with movie two in the first phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, The Incredible Hulk. A.K.A. Me. (laughs) 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 On that note. We'll see you in the next episode, guys. Bye.